What's up, everybody? This is Camera Work Podcast. If this is the first time you've ever come across this podcast, I thank you for taking a few minutes to listen to it. And if you've heard all of the previous 50 episodes of this podcast, which is available on iTunes and all 50 are probably on YouTube as well, I thank you for listening. I am aware that you have a ton of choices when it comes to like listening to things on your phone or listening to things when you're in your house. And if you choose to listen to this instead of the Walking Dead podcast or the Joe Rogan podcast or whatever else you might choose to listen to, I'm honored by that. And I really take that as an obligation on my part to make this worth your time. Okay. If you want to see my actual photography, the best place to do it is at John Ricard on Instagram, J-O-H-N-R-I-C-A-R-D. Okay. So this week or, well, not this week, but very recently, Tom Hogan, who is a self-proclaimed Nikon expert, and he really is a Nikon expert. I've never seen anybody know as much about Nikon as him. He has a website called By Tom, B-Y-T-H-O-M. But he wrote this article about, it was some, the title was something to the effect of like, why I still shoot Nikon. And it got a lot of attention. It was posted on Nikon Rumors. It was posted on his blog. And I think a couple other places kind of picked it up. And he talked about why he still uses Nikon when there's all of this rage in terms of um, mirrorless and things like that. And one of the funniest things about it was people had this reaction, like some, some people, of course, had this reaction almost like he was wrong about some of the points he was making. And every time he responded to the comments, he responded on the Discuss forums on, if you look for the Discuss forums, or you could look at uh, Nikon Rumors and you could find a thread there where he responds to a lot of the comments. But he kept trying to say, like, this is why I shoot Nikon. I'm not trying to say why everybody should, should shoot Nikon. I'm just trying to make you understand why in 2016 I'm still using Nikon. And, you know, a lot of people just don't get it. But anyway, he had his reasons and they were good reasons, but they're not really the same as my reasons for shooting Nikon. So I want to talk about why I still shoot Nikon in 2016, despite the fact that I own a lot of other cameras, Nikon is still very much in a mix. And for a lot of my real like grunt work, the Nikon comes out and it's the tool I choose. So I want to give you a few reasons. I made up five reasons. Uh, I might end up with more, but we'll see. Okay. So here's my first reason. Number one. One reason for number one reason why I again, these are not in order though, this is just the first reason I'm going to give you. So, the first reason I'm going to give you as to why I shoot continue to shoot Nikon is it is always in the correct mode of where I left it and for where I want it to be. So, what I mean is this my Nikon, I shoot my Nikons in man, I shoot all my cameras in manual mode, whether I'm doing studio, location, whatever always in manual. I find it's just so much easier to just have direct access to your shutter and your aperture, which manual mode gives you, and direct access to your ISO. Now with my Nikon, if I turn it off in manual mode, and let's say I'm in autofocus, uh, single point selection or something like that, if I come back to that camera a week later, two weeks later, a day later, and I turn it back on, it, it's always just where I left it. There's no mystery. There's no confusion. I can just turn it on and immediately start shooting. I can just look at the room, make a quick guess as to what my shutter and aperture and ISO are going to be, take a couple of quick test pictures, and then make my adjustments and shoot. When I use like my Sony, I mean, my God, this, this is the A6000 that I'm holding here for anybody watching this on the iTunes, on the YouTube version rather. It's like when you turn it on, you don't really know what's going to be going on with it. Like there are times you turn it on and you're like in some kind of display mode where like this screen on the back, instead of showing you what you're shooting, it's just like an information readout. It's giving you all of this information about white balance and all of these other things. 
or the autofocus mode is not where you left it. Maybe you thought it was in autofocus, but it's in manual. It's just, I'm constantly, when I pick up the Sony, having to figure out what is the camera set on now and what would I like it to be set on. But there's no guarantee. At least this is my perception when I use the Sony. When I pick it up, I don't know where I'm starting from. I don't know what's going on with the camera. I've got to take a few seconds and kind of check everything and figure it out and then, you know, start to use it and to work it. Again, where's my Nikon? It's just, have I leave it? It's ready to go. And needless to say, my Leica, which is still my favorite camera, the M9 and the M240, these are always exactly where you leave them. I mean, they're just... There's, there's no modes, there's no options. So if I physically leave the aperture on 5.6, it's going to be on 5.6 the next time I turn on camera. And that's a bigger deal than you would think, something simple like that. It just makes it feel like it's always ready to shoot, all right? Reason number two why I continue to shoot Nikon, um, the controls on the camera, they all make sense to me. And there's a couple of things behind why the controls make sense to me. So for one thing, there's a legacy. I'm used to the controls being where they are. And maybe it's not logical that I would use my left thumb to go from autofocus to manual. Maybe there's no inherent reason why that should be your left thumb that in terms of the positioning, pos uh, positioning on a Nikon, right? If you're shooting here, the left thumb right here would, would take care of whether you're in autofocus or manual. Okay, maybe that's not logical. But you know why I think it's logical? Because it's the same place it was on on my Nikon F4, which I got around like 1988 or 18, 1989 or something like that. Like that's where that control was on the F4, and that's where it is on the D810, which is you know one of the, the most recent model they make. So the controls make sense. Like when you want to format the card, in the D800, if you do it manually without going into the menu, there are two buttons here on top of the camera. One is where your index finger is, and one is where your thumb is, and you push these two buttons down like this, and you can format the card without going into the menu. Now, that's a good design already, because maybe you don't want to scroll through the menu trying to figure out which option has the format, but it's an even better design when you figure back again on the F4, and we're going back however many years this is, 25 years or more, I guess, for the F4. Those were the two places that you would have the rewind. Like if you wanted to rewind a film, you had, a, you had one button on the right side of the camera, and then there was one on the left, and they were in very similar positions as to where the formatting is. So when you were ready to rewind a card, you had a similar motion that you did with the F4, is very similar to the motion that you're doing to format a D810. So there's a legacy to the controls. So at this point in time, those controls make a lot of sense to me. And Nikon, in my opinion, has done a really good job of keeping the cameras consistent. Like the little uh, touchpad on the back, I'm not even sure what you call it, but where your thumb would go to um, change like your um, focusing point and things like that, that was there on the F5. And again, F5 was probably like 1990 or something, 1992 or something along that line. And that thumb switch has been there since then. So to me, Nikon has been remarkably consistent with, excuse me, with the way they design their pro bodies. Now, when I pick up certain other cameras, there's no logic to it. And it's not just because I'm not used to it. But if you look at something like the Sony a6000, they don't give you a front command dial. So if you're shooting in manual mode like I am, your thumb is going to turn one dial to adjust the, in my case, I use this one to adjust the shutter speed. 
Then there's another dial that my thumb uses to adjust the aperture. So I'm using my thumb to adjust two totally different things, which I don't like. I would rather have those controls separated. And not only that, but the way those controls are made is very different. Like the way you roll the one for shutter and the way you roll the one for aperture is totally different. And when I have to roll the aperture one, I actually have to kind of take the camera away from my eye for a second to roll the aperture dial. It's not, it's not built in a logical way to me. It's not built in a logical way, period. Not even just to me, just period. They've wasted my index finger and in not using it to adjust one of those two parameters. And the poor controls extends to the point on the A6000, for example, to where it's very easy to hit this, the dial on the back, the one that I'm using for aperture. It's very easy to hit, like in the course of the day as you're just walking around, you're bumping into this rolling dial on the back of the camera and it changes, which kind of gets me back to point one. Now, the next time I pick up the camera, my aperture is not on you know, F4, it's on F11 or something because the camera's not designed right. But even when I'm using it, it's just not in a logical, logical way. And it's interesting that a lot of people love the idea that the Fujis and the Sonys give you the ability to control some of the buttons. You get these custom buttons and you can make them be whatever you want. Okay, fine. But if you think about it, when the manufacturer says to you, hey, well, you can customize these buttons, it's almost like they're saying they don't know what controls you need on the camera. And I disagree with that because I think the controls you need on the camera are shutter, aperture, ISO, and maybe white balance. If you're shooting raw, you don't even really need um, white balance, but you do need ISO, shutter, and aperture. So those three controls should be very easy to access. They should be in a place that you can get to them in a second. They don't need to change. That's the core of photography, of, of those, thing, those three things there. And when a manufacturer doesn't give you buttons for those and just says, well, put whatever you want there. To me, it just seems like they don't really understand what's important. It would be like having a car that made it an afterthought for like how you shift into drive and park instead of giving that like a really prominent place on the car that were buried and it was hard to access and something you don't need that often, like the rear window defroster, they gave that the best spot on the car. It just shows that they don't really understand how we use a car. So the Controls on the Nikon is one of the main reasons that I stay with Nikon because I like the way it's designed. And I used to own a Fuji X-E1 and I'll probably buy one again at some point, but I didn't feel the controls made any sense there to change the ISO was a pain. I think when you were like trying to go into movie mode, if I remember correctly, you had to go into the drive mode because you were somehow changing the drive to movie. It just makes no sense. It's not logical the way they design these things. So, um, Item number three as to why I continue to use Nikon, and this is really uh, as compared to my Leica, is that the file is just absolutely gorgeous and it's beautifully consistent. I had a situation a while back where I was shooting on my D3X and I was doing a shoot in the studio and I was going to have to leave halfway through. So I made an arrangement with Ray, who's been on the podcast a million times, to finish the shoot for me. Now Ray shoots on a D4. And I knew Ray would be more comfortable shooting on his camera instead of my D3X. So I said, okay, you can finish your D4. You finish the shoot on your D4. We're going to keep the lighting the same. And, you know, I showed him what angles to shoot at so that the shoot could look as consistent as it could. But I felt it was best for him to use the camera that he uses every day rather than using my camera. When you look at the pictures in Photo Mechanic, they look exactly the same like you can't tell the difference the way the f4 is rendering the colors is 
identical to my eyes to how the D3X is rendering the colors. And that consistency from camera to camera is a beautiful thing when you're working. If you have two different camera bodies or if you're just used to the way Nikon does color, because remember, the colors don't have to be accurate from the, your Nikon or your Canon or your Fuji. They just have to be in a way that you're used to them and you know how to process those files. If it's making everybody's skin blue and you know how to compensate, then fine. And my Leicas, which I love, both of them give me way too much purple in the skin. I get a ton of magenta skin with the M9 and with the M240. I was hoping they would have fixed it for the M240, but they didn't. But I've learned how to process the files from the M9 and from the M240. Now I'm bothered by the fact that the M9 and the M240 are not consistent with each other. And a lot of times I don't use them together because they're not consistent and they look so different. And frankly, the M9 <clears throat> looks so much better than the M240 that I don't like to even put those files in the job because I feel like the client's gonna be looking at it going like, well, why doesn't everything look like these images? <clears throat> When the reality is I can't use the M9 for everything because it doesn't shoot fast enough and it doesn't do good at low light and all these other issues that cause me to not use the M9 as much as I might like to use it in terms of the way the file looks. But the Nikon is also consistent in auto white balance mode. So if I'm in auto white balance for some reason and I'm shooting somebody speaking or I'm shooting outside or whatever and I shoot 300 images, they're all going to be very consistent into how it decided the white balance should be. And again, I don't care if the white balance is right. Just be consistent so that when I adjust, when I figure out how to adjust one image, I can just do a blanket adjustment to the rest of the images and make them look good. Whereas my Leicas will do something very different. Each individual image, it's like it's recalculating the white balance and it's making it completely different. So I've got 100 shots and I've got like 25 different interpretations of how the auto white balance should have been captured. And again, I don't care which one the camera picks, just pick one and stay with it so that I can adjust easier. But in auto white balance mode with the Leica, I've got to keep adjusting each individual picture because from second to second, it's changing how it reads the light. It does it with the M9, it does it with the M240. The Nikon doesn't do that, just remarkably consistent from camera body to camera body or from that camera body as it shoots is just beautiful. Item number four. <clears throat> Item number four as to why I continue to shoot Nikon is some of the advantages that people say the mirrorless gives you are not really important advantages at this point. So for example, one of the biggest advantages that people will say about mirrorless is that it's smaller. And there are times that that is a big deal to me. So I take a lot of pictures where I train jujitsu. So I go to class and some point during the class, I'll take out a camera and I'll take some pictures of the teacher instructing or of the students kind of competing against each other. I love being able to take the Sony a6000. It feels like it doesn't weigh anything in my bag. It doesn't take up a lot of room. And um, with this, whatever this lens is, it's something like a 17 to 35 I have on it. And it's great. I feel, I don't, I'm not even that conscious that it's there. In times like that, having a lightweight camera is a really big deal. But there are plenty of times that a light camera is just not as big a deal as it has been made out to be. If you are a studio photographer, which I like to think of myself as, then it really doesn't matter how much the camera weighs, right? The camera's sitting in a studio, you don't carry it in. And the shoot lasts, what, an hour, two hours? It's not that big a deal to hold the camera while you're shooting. 
And I know in New York, we tend to take the subway everywhere. So I take the subway and there are definitely times that the camera can kind of feel a little heavy in the bag with these large Nikon lenses. But if I'm bringing lighting with me, it's really not going to make that big a difference if the camera is lighter because I'm already transporting some type of hand truck in like three bags. In other words, I'm, it's already heavy. doesn't really matter if it's a couple of pounds heavier by adding the Nikons as opposed to bringing the Leica or something a little bit more lightweight than a Nikon. So the weight issue is just not as big a deal as I think it's been made out to be. And if you're listening to this in a state where you are driving to your shoots, it's probably not a big deal to you at all. You know, you drive to a location and shoot for two or three hours. What difference does it make if the camera's a little heavier or a little lighter? It's really for people on the subway, I think, that that's a bigger deal who are carrying this on their back or, you know, walking around shooting all day. So that advantage I don't think is as big a deal as it's been made out to be. I think the EVF is another example of that. Like, I, I see these guys, like these Sony guys who, like, give presentations, and they're always like, yeah, you know, and then when I shoot it, I can instantly see in a viewfinder if the exposure is correct, or I can see see it like if they're not doing a studio shoot if they're doing like ambient light where lights are not gonna fire they're saying like before I even push the button I can tell that the exposure is right because I'm looking at the actual exposure okay I can't do that with my Nikon I really can't but you know how long it takes me to take the picture and pull the camera away from my eye and look at the screen I mean in real time it's probably like one full second maybe it's two seconds and maybe this depends on what you're shooting but for me that's not an issue. If I'm shooting someone in my studio, there's a girl standing there. It's really not that big a deal for her to stand there for two seconds while I look at the screen and then go back and shoot her. So the idea of the EVF, and I have the EVF for my Leica and this Sony a6000 has the built-in EVF as well. So I'm used to using it and I can see some advantages to it. But again, it's not an advantage that is such a huge advantage as it's made out to be. And I'm going to make a little divergent here. Like you look at the iPad when it first came out. It was something that was very difficult to understand because that particular product had never really existed. And you felt like, well, I have a laptop. Why do I need an iPad? And I remember some of the early criticisms were saying like, it's just like a giant phone. You know, it's just a big phone. Well, it turned out to me that the iPad was an amazing invention. Just the greatest thing I've had in the last 10 years in terms of an invention. I love the iPad. And one of the things that was interesting about the iPad as compared to your laptop was the iPad was instant on. Push a button, it's on. It's that quick. Whereas your laptop, you know, you like hold the power button on and it starts to boot up and then it makes these little weird beeps and then the little things start spinning and then the screen is white and then it comes on, it might tell you to log in and then programs start opening. It's just such a long, tedious procedure. So the idea that the iPad turned on instantly, like if you could rate on a scale of one to hundred, well, how much was that worth, that feature, which wasn't something that they talked about a lot, but how much was that worth? To me, that was worth a hundred points that you just push the button, you turn it on as compared to a laptop that would take so much longer. And I think with the mirrorless, well, if I had to rate in terms of points, well, how much is it worth that you have this EVF instead of the glass viewfinder and then using the LCD on the back? I don't know, maybe it's worth 40 points, maybe 50. It's just not as big a deal as it's been made out to be. Not saying it's not an advantage. It's just not as much of an advantage. And with the lighter weight, you know, sometimes you're carrying extra batteries with the mirrorless. So again, they've bragged that the weight is lighter. But now I'm bringing three extra batteries, whereas with the D3 Nikons, the pro bodies from Nikon, I mean, 
Sometimes the, the camera goes so long on a battery, you can forget to charge it before shoot because charging batteries is just, it's out of your mind. You don't even think of it with the Nikon. You're just so accustomed to going out and shooting. Like if I'm taking pictures on set, I used to shoot a lot at like music videos. I'd be on set eight, nine, 10 hours. You're there 10 hours and you look at the battery and it's like, it's at 70%. You could go do the next day of that video without charging the battery still. You almost forget to charge it because it's not like your phone where you're just thinking as soon as you leave the house, I need a charger. Like my phone's going to be dead in two hours. Let me make sure that I have a charger or an extra battery or something for the phone. So again, one of those features that's bragged about with mirrorless, it's lightweight. Well, if I got to bring extra batteries, it's not as lightweight or as easy as it's been made out to be. And I see people, I put a picture on my Instagram one time, there was a guy who had the equivalent of a 24 to 70 millimeter lens on his Fuji. So he had like a Fuji X-T1 and he had the, the grip on the bottom of it and he had the lens on the front. And by the time you were finished, I mean, it was really close to the size of like a Nikon D800 with a 24 to 70. It was really close in size. So that size advantage, again, it is a nice thing. I use the size to my advantage when I take the class with me to jujitsu. When I take the camera, this A600, 6000 to jujitsu, but it's not as big a deal as it's been made out to be, in my view. And I'll give you an example of what the mirrorless feels like to me. So I don't do much in terms of like screwing things in and fixing things, like if something needs to get fixed in a studio or in my house, I'm the person who has to call a guy because I'm not gonna be able to, you know, build a shelf or whatever needs to be done. So my tools tend to be not the real tools, like, and maybe you're like this, you bought a screwdriver kit set from Home Depot for like $30 and it's got these little heads that you change for all the different screwdrivers and there's like this all-purpose pliers and a wrench in there and it's, the whole thing's like $30. Or maybe you've had the experience of Excuse me. Maybe you've had the experience of in the old days, you'd go to the amusement park before cell phones were big and you'd buy these little family walkie talkies before you went to the amusement parks. You could keep in touch with your family as people were going to get separated. And you had these little family talk walkie talkies. They were like 40 or $50 each and the range was good. And you know, you could use them and communicate with your family before the cell phone days. And it seemed like it worked. And then what would happen is maybe by some reason, you had a chance to hold a real walkie-talkie. Maybe you know a security officer who has a real walkie-talkie or whatever, you're holding a real, real walkie-talkie. And it just feels so different than that family talk walkie-talkie. It's so big and so solid and it just, it just feels right. You know, it just feels right in your hand. That's how I feel when I use my Nikon as compared to using my Fuji. The Nikon feels the way a camera is supposed to feel. It's a big, large, heavy camera that I can just grip. And the Fuji feels kind of like a compromised camera. The Sony feels like a compromised camera. My Leica feels natural to my hand, but compared to like a D3 or a D5, feels a little bit like a compromised camera. The same as the tools. You know, you have that hammer you got from Home Depot for $30 and then Somehow, like a real mechanic comes to your house or whatever. Well, we don't even see him. So not into this. I don't even know what you call it. But, you know, the handyman comes to your house and he has like a real hammer and you pick it up and you go like, wow, this is so cool. Or a re real screwdriver or like a drill. And you see the real one, not that kind of compromised version you got from Home Depot. And you see the difference. That's what I feel like when I use 
you know, the Sony versus the Nikon. Yeah, the Sony works and it feels good and there's advantages and you can use it. You can touch the shutter and you can grip it, whatever. But man, when you pick up a big heavy, like this is the D810 with the grip on the bottom, you pick it up, you just grab it. You know, you just hold it and there's a place to put your hand and it feels like this is what a camera is supposed to feel like. It doesn't feel like a compromised camera like the Sony or the Fuji does to my hands. Okay, so that's my list. That was actually five reasons why I still shoot Nikon in 2016. And I do incorporate the mirrorless into my work. Again, I have the Sony, I have two Leicas. I used a Leica for a ton, a ton, ton, ton of my work. But the Nikon is still the workhorse that I go to for a lot of events and a lot of things that I shoot where I just need it to work without any quirks and any oddities it's still in there. And those are my reasons why. Okay. I'm not saying these should be your reasons. I'm just saying these are my reasons. Okay. Hope you enjoy that. If you like the podcast, please share it. So uh, we get some more views and more people are aware of it and I can keep doing these. Okay. Again, if you want to find me on Instagram, it's John Ricard, J-O-H-N-R-I-C-A-R-D. I will see you guys soon. Thanks. Bye-bye.